Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. In God's economy, he sees things as they truly are, but then he also calls things out as they truly are as well. And so what we saw at the beginning of the chapter was the nation turning on Moses. It kind of represents, it's a mirror image of what Jesus told his disciples. They don't hate you, they hate me. Their issue isn't so much with you, their issue is with me. That's the problem. And here God is saying like, yeah, Moses, I know they're directing all that towards you, but that wasn't against you, that was against me. From a parental perspective, moms and dads are trying to guide their children through the difficult times, and they try to enjoy the good times with them. God gives us very clear examples and instructions of how we're to help them grow. In times when your children are rebelling against that instruction, are they rebelling against you or against God? Today, Pastor James tells us how the children of Israel rebelled against Moses, but they were really rebelling against God and his miraculous provision for them. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We don't know what's going on here with him. All I know is this is a man who is probably just heavy laden and burdened. He's like, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water from this rock? No, no, must he bring you water from this rock is what it should have been. But again, he's not a perfect guy. It says that Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and the livestock drank their fill. So God still worked the miracle with Moses, even though Moses was disobedient. He was disobedient. And that shows like the Lord can still move when the leaders are disobedient. Okay. And just because there's this great movement going on doesn't mean that the leader is always in tune with God. Can't give leaders too much credit. They certainly don't deserve as much as sometimes they get. You have to be cautious on putting anybody like a Moses or whoever it may be, any pastor, leader on any kind of pedestal. They don't deserve it. And just because some cool stuff is happening, God is answering prayers and all that stuff, doesn't mean that that, I mean, here Moses is in flat out rebellion against God. God said, do it this way. Moses is like, I'm going to do it my way. It worked the first time, I'm going to do it the second time. Now I'm not just going to strike it once, I'm going to strike it twice. God's like, I told you just to speak to it. So he's flat out rebellion, and God still answers to prayer. Why? Because the people need water. The people still need water. You see that happen within churches sometimes, where like the, the pastor or the leadership can be just like full-on rebellion against God, but people are still like getting saved. Why? Because God cares about his people. He'll deal with the leader. God always deals with leaders, always. Always. And he'll deal with leaders to a higher standard than just sometimes normal average churchgoers, if I can use that language. Not that anybody's normal or average, right? We're family of God, everybody's on the same level. Um, but if you have a title, any kind of title of leadership that, that bears any kind of leadership, you are held to a higher standard of accountability. And you have to answer to that. 
And so Moses, because he is the leader that God is using, both him and Aaron, Aaron is included in this because Aaron is probably consenting with Moses on his actions. That no, we don't get any instances that Aaron's like, whoa, whoa, hold on, he didn't say strike it, he said speak to it. Okay? We just have Aaron just probably there like, dude, hit it again. Like, like, yes, teach him, like, show him, Moses. I'm sick of this too, right? They both were guilty. They both were guilty of it. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me, because you didn't trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. That's a, that's a heavy price. But that's what Moses stood in disobedience to God as a representative of God to the people. And, and the Lord nails him on it. He's like, you didn't trust me enough. You didn't trust me. I said, speak to the rock, Moses. So at the heart of the issue could have been a trust issue. I think you couple all that stuff with just everything that we know of what's going on with the story. It's he disobeys God and God's like, okay, you don't get to go to the promised land. Just so you know, the promised land's not heaven. Okay. So it's not like he's like, oh, that's it, Moses. You're out forever. Right? No, it's, you don't get to lead them into the promised land after 40 years of suffering with these people. I mean, it was that you were like, it's that one thing where you, you're just watching somebody, you're like, you were so close, right? He didn't trust God, and he misrepresented God to the people. And God takes that stuff very seriously. He's like, okay, you're out, both you and Aaron. You don't get to lead the people to where I've been trying to get them at. There's a heavy, heavy price tag with leadership when we misrepresent the Lord. He cares about his people. But just as much as he cares about his people, he cares about the leaders that he puts in place as well. Leadership is not something that is, should be desired all the time because, again, it comes with accountability. You don't get to go in. Verse 13, this place was known as the waters of Mirbah, which means arguing or contention or this bickering, whatever synonym you want to use there. But it's this place of just sadness is really kind of what it is. It says, because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. So it's, it's fascinating that this place gets titled this because if you take a step back, the people's arguments and complaints weren't really against Moses, they were against God. And so in, in God's economy, he sees things as they truly are, but then he also calls things out as they truly are as well. And so what we saw at the beginning of the chapter was the nation turning on Moses it kind of represents, it's a mirror image of what Jesus told his disciples. They don't hate you, they hate me. Their issue isn't so much with you, their issue is with me. That's the problem. And here God is saying like, yeah, Moses, I know they're directing all that towards you, but that wasn't against you, that was against me. They didn't trust me. They were complaining about me. Why, Why would it God and not Moses? Because God appointed Moses to lead them. And any complaints against Moses was a complaint against God. That's just how it was. And God calls it out right there. Verse 14. They got to keep moving, though. They got to keep going. Um, While Moses was at Kadesh, he sent ambassadors to the king of Edom with this message. This is what your relatives, that's key, because the Edomites were relatives to the Israelites. The people of Israel say, 
You know of all the hardships we've been through. Our ancestors went down to Egypt, and we lived there a long time, and we and our ancestors were brutally mistreated by the Egyptians. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent an angel who brought us out of Egypt. Now we are camped at Kadesh, a town on the border of your land. Please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields or, and vineyards. We won't even drink the water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road, which was a common road back then, and never leave it until we have passed through your territory. So here is Moses understanding geographically where he is at. They know if they could just pass through Edom, then get right into the promised land. So he's going to be diplomatic about it and send out a message to the king of Edom saying, hey, look, I know I got like a million plus people, right? And I know that that's, you know, that fear is spreading amongst the land because everybody's hearing about this, this nation that's on the move. He says, we're family. We're family. You know, our, we go back to Isaac and to Abraham, right? So we're family. We're related. Can we just pass through? We just want to go through, you know, the king's highway into the promised land. We won't touch anything. We won't drink anything. If we step on like a flower, we'll, we'll pay you back for the flower. Like we, we don't want any of your stuff. We just need to get from here to there. That's it. Verse 18, the king of Edom says, stay out of my land or I'll meet you with an army. You step foot on my land, and I'm going to kill you, is what he says. That's the James Grizzle version translation, right? <laughs> like, step on my land. You don't honor that no trespassing sign. I will shoot first and ask questions later, okay? Like, that's how, that's how this guy rolls. He responds back very aggressively and harshly, excessively harshly. He's like, well, hold on, dude. Like, you, technically, you guys are family. You are related. Okay, Jacob and Esau, twins in the womb, okay? You're the Edomites, which come from Esau. Like, I know that you're, they didn't get along all that great, but you're still blood. And for him to come out so strongly, so aggressively, of like, stay out of my land. Stay out of land, or me and my army are going to show up. Like, that's a little excessive when it comes to, you know, relationships and all that good stuff. Verse 19, the Israelites answered, we will stay on the main road. If our livestock drink your water, we'll pay you for it. Just let us pass through your country. That is all we ask. But the king of Edom replied, stay out. You may not pass through our land. With that, he mobilized his army and marched out against them with an imposing force. Because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their country, Israel was forced to turn around. So this guy, not only like he receives the second message, and not only does he deliver the second message, but he himself and his army show up with the second message and say, we're serious. You step across this line, you're dead. I know there was going to be a war between, you know, like there's some hostilities there, but this is just crazy. He didn't trust them. And, and why should he? If you know the family history, right? Jacob was a deceiver. They, he deceived his brother, right? Now, you could look through the story at, like, in the finer details. Esau was not innocent in it either. Like, he was willing to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup, okay? So it's not that he was, like, completely deceived. Now, there's another story that happened after that with, you know, Jacob, you know, 
putting on goat hair all over himself and dressing his brother's clothes so he can dis- trick his father. That was his and his mother. It's actually his mom's plan. Um, so, so he could get the blessing. But they didn't even need to do that because God told them at the very beginning, both mom and dad, the older will serve the younger. That's God's word. And mom didn't trust probably maybe her husband enough to honor that or to remember that. We don't know, but there's trickery that happened within that. There you have this rift that happened between the two. So that is carried down through the generations. And now you have this king of Edom who is like, no, no, no. I know what you guys are about. You say you're only going to do this, but I know you got so many people, you're probably going to try to overthrow us. So that's partly, I think, what the hostility would be. And he's like, no, you shall not pass, right? That's that Lord of the Rings, anybody watch that movie? Like Gana, the the wizard guy? He's like, you shall not pass. Um, That's this guy. Uh, So they have to go around, which means more walking, which means more, a little more wandering, so to speak. And it's an obstacle. And you got death at the beginning, rebellion, and then sin on Moses' part, and then rejection and hostility and physical violence threatened towards him and the people he is in charge of. And it's just stress, stress, stress. And then the whole chapter caps off with, the loss of probably his best friend. Like, I wouldn't underestimate the, the relationship that Moses probably had with Aaron. We, I don't think we look at this like that, but we think we should. Like, these two were side by side, side by side for 40 plus years. Like, inseparable to a certain extent. Forget about the whole Moses on the mountain and Aaron leading the rebellion in the camp kind of a deal. Like, no, let's forget about that, right? Everybody makes mistakes. Um, but... These guys were side by side serving God together for 40 plus years. So it's not just like, well, Aaron got old and died. You know, Moses like, well, you know, that's how it is. You know, them's the breaks, right? That's what happens. We all got to die. Like, no, this is like his sister first and then his right hand man is going to pass away. Says so the whole community of Israel left Kadesh and arrived at Mount Hor. There, on the border of the land of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, the time has come for Aaron to join his ancestors in death. He will not enter the land I am giving the people of Israel, because the two of you rebelled against my instructions concerning the water at Mirabah. They're like, oh, we kind of hoped you forgot about that. Um, He's like, no, I didn't forget about that. Um, In fact, I'm going to do something for you guys that is a little unheard of. Aaron, I'm going to give you a heads up. You're about to die. You're about to die. And God arranges all this stuff for this to happen. It's, it's kind of fascinating. This will illustrate uh, to us that, yes, God cares about his people. He also cares about this priestly system that he had uh, instituted. Okay? He couldn't just have Aaron just die unexpectedly. Like That wouldn't have been good for the community. That wouldn't have been good for the nation, the health of the nation. So the Lord knows, like, Aaron, your time's coming to an end. Because each and every one of us has a, a start date and an end date. And God is aware of both of those. Uh, and with Aaron, he, he had already known that. So he, he sees that this date predetermined. It's happening. And so God is going to meet with them. But he's going to give them these instructions. Okay, It says, uh, 
says, now take Aaron and his son Eliezer up uh, Mount Hor. There you will remove Aaron's priestly garments and put them on Eliezer, his son. Aaron will die there and join his ancestors. So this transition has to happen. The, um, the high priest transition must take place. And, and in order for that to happen, like Aaron has to be alive before the high priestly garments are removed from his body because if he had died and if he had died in them, they're unclean. So then you've got, like, you got a big issue with the whole nation that doesn't have a high priest because the clothing is unclean and it would be unclean for a certain amount of days. And God's not going to leave his people ever without a high priest. Good news for you and I, book of Hebrews, Jesus is our high priest. He's already died once. He'll never die again. Right? That's amazing. Like forever and ever and ever we have a high priest and his name is Jesus. It's the coolest thing. But here, the Lord needs a transition to take place. So you got Moses and Aaron and Eliezer. So you got two brothers and and the son of one and the the nephew of of Moses. They all go up onto this mountain. They have to go up in the presence of everybody. And they're going to make this very visible transition happen. So Moses, verse 27, did all of it as the Lord commanded. The three of them went up Mount Hor. Together as a whole community watched. So everybody's watching. The whole community, their eyes are on these guys. At the summit, Moses removed the priestly garments from Aaron and put them on Eliezer, Aaron's son. So right there, that's representing and signifying to the whole congregation, you have a new high priest now. His name is Eliezer. And so Moses had to do that in the presence of all the people so that they would understand, oh, so this is now the guy and Aaron, who we've known for so long, is, is dying. He's dying. The last bit of that verse, it says, And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. And Moses and Eliezer went back down. When the people realized that Aaron had died, all Israel mourned for him 30 days. Which is customary in a certain sense. It's kind of nice since they tortured Aaron for like 40 years um, that you would mourn him for 30 days. Is, and he's a high priest, so there's a lot that goes with that. Number one, he was one of the two. And just to bring us back into that story, that day where Moses was out in the wilderness and there's this burning bush. You know, and Moses is like, well, that's weird. I've never seen that before. Um, I've been in this wilderness, you know, taking care of sheep for like 40 years. And he approaches it, and he's got to take his sandals off because the ground there is holy, and, and God, the great I am, is commissioning him to go to Egypt and to set his people free. And he's like, I can't do it. I can't talk. I have a speech impediment. And God's like, oh, yeah, no worries about that. Look behind you. There's Aaron. He's just showing up to the party, right? <laughs> and that, I don't know how close of a connection Aaron and Moses had, pre-burning bush. I don't know if they hung out or not. There's no indication that they did. So just there's God already knowing in advance, no, I'm bringing Aaron. He's going to be your mouthpiece. So God, in one sense, I wish I knew the details of this, you know, the gaps of like, were they, were they hanging out together before or were they separate? All indications are they probably were separate. I don't know probably would make a kind of a cool movie in one sense. If somebody actually did it right, that'd be nice. Um, I know there's the story of Moses and all that, but I'm talking about like, let's do it right. Um, but there's Aaron. And so now Moses has like, okay, I can go and I can go fulfill this calling that God has upon my life 
because he has connected me with my brother, Aaron, and he's the mouthpiece. So it's not me doing it on my own, and it's not me with my inabilities. God supplied the person who is totally qualified for the job in the sense of able to, to speak. What I can't speak, he can speak. What I hear from God, though, I can communicate to him, and he can communicate to others. It's a beautiful setup, a tremendous setup. But there they are, man, these two brothers. Two brothers, and they're serving God together, and they're in Egypt, and they're seeing the Lord do miraculous things in their presence and in the presence of Pharaoh and all his magicians and everything. And then it's the two of them plus their sister marching ahead, leading these people out of Egypt. And the journey is, you know, just beginning kind of a thing. And, and all the hardships that these guys went through together, the complaints against them. And primarily, it was always against Moses and Aaron. If you read back through Numbers, read through the book of Exodus, um, you, you'll see that even Leviticus, uh, it, all the attacks and all the complaints were always against Moses and Aaron. Moses. And here stood these two brothers side by side. And they were the same mind, same heart. So when the complaints came in, they went right to God. And they laid before God and they prayed for the people. Yes, they made their mistakes. Yes, they made their mistakes. They were not perfect people. But they serve God together. And I can't think of a more beautiful, you know, kind of, there's this family portrait that happens in Numbers chapter 20 with Miriam and then her two brothers. And then, then it's just Moses and Aaron. And then at the end of the chapter, it's just, it's just Moses. And it won't be too long from this that he himself will pass away. Um, what happens to Moses? Where's his bones and all that stuff? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I know somebody who would want to know. The name is Satan. Um, but nobody knows. But at the end of the story, and it's not that Moses stands alone, he still stands with God. But if you understand the heartache and the tragedy of just one chapter, one chapter, at the end of it, Moses returns. He's got his nephew with him, who's now the high priest. And he, along with all of Israel, will mourn the death of Aaron for 30 days. And that's uh, the reality, and, and you know how this works. Some of us have walked through some of these stories. You have to wake up the next day, and you have to keep marching. You have to keep marching. Because the reality for Moses, and even though Moses, and praise God for a man who is just faithful to his calling, because even though in his failure, he wasn't, get to, he wasn't going to go into the promised land, but he was going to be faithful to bring them to where God wanted them to be so that they could go in. He could have bailed. He could have been like, oh, I don't get to go in now? Peace out. I'm going to go, like, I'm going to go somewhere else. Like, I'm going to go live on the beach, you know, the Mediterranean somewhere. Like, I don't have to deal with you people anymore. No, he stuck with it. He stuck with it. And when day 31 showed up after the morning, he had to get up and he had to lead. He had to, even though he knew I don't get to go with them, but I will lead them to where God wants them to be. That's a leader. That's a tremendous man. Just a guy who is like heart is set on God and his eyes are fixed on the Lord. That's a tremendous leader. Who knows? I don't get to go, but you know what? I'm going to lead you guys to where you need to be so that you can go. That's leadership. That's the best witness and example of leadership, not counting Jesus, that I've ever seen in the scriptures. That's tremendous. It's amazing. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken. Heart.
have been listening to Bread for the Broken, a radio broadcast ministry of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. Pastor James Grizzle has been teaching through the Book of Numbers. This is one of many messages found at breadforthebroken.com, so if you missed a portion of it today, we hope that you'll take the time to listen to it in its entirety. The website again is breadforthebroken.com. We understand that your minutes are precious to you and you have other obligations to fulfill. So why not listen on the go through our Facebook live stream? Or better yet, if you're in Galveston, Texas, on business or vacation, why don't you stop in to see what we're all about? If you enjoy a laid-back feel, then this is the place for you. Come worship Jesus while spending time with other believers at one of our two services, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. We'd love to meet you and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Do you ever feel like you want to be a part of something bigger, but you're unsure of how or what that is? Here at Bread for the Broken, we want to help everyone find hope and new life in Jesus Christ. So we're curious if you'd team up with us to reach as many as possible. On our website, breadforthebroken.com, there's a place for you to donate to this ministry. We simply ask that you pray about it and follow the Lord's leading, whatever that might be. Thanks again for spending part of your day with us today. Tune in again next time to spend time in God's Word with Pastor James Grizzle here on Bread for the Broken.